Hello there. Welcome to the show. I have a correction to make on my last medical podcast that I did. My very intelligent wife was listening to it, and she made the observation that at one point I referred to the EKG as a nine-lead EKG. I don't know where that came from, but the EKGs that we use are 12-lead EKGs, so thank you, Natalie, for catching that. Also, in the last episode I did with Luke, we talked about the game Outward, and the producer of the game was called Deep Silver. And it was interesting because I watched a video the other day that basically talked about how Deep Silver has this reputation for not necessarily bribing, but giving content creators a ton of benefits to uh, play their games and then review them highly. So I just have to go out and say that I have not been paid by Deep Silver to give their game a good uh, word that was purely on my own volition. Now, Luke might be getting paid by them, but he hasn't mentioned it. So while I'm on my internal medicine sub-I, I have to give a presentation to the third years, and I decided I would do it on something that gave me a little bit of trouble, but our presentation has to be roughly 30 minutes long, and I'm not going to go into that much detail in this episode, so I'm going to try to shoot for around 10 minutes. But what I'm going to talk about today is plural effusions. So a pleural effusion is an accumulation or an abnormal accumulation of fluid in the pleural space. So the area between the lung and then the pleura that covers the lung is sort of like a sac. So you, you can get fluid in there and that can cause various issues. So there's several different processes that can cause you to have a pleural effusion. You can have an increased production of fluid in the setting of normal capillaries that aren't damaged in that Increased production of fluid is due to an increase in hydrostatic or oncotic pressure. The most common cause is heart failure. I'll talk a little bit about that later on. Um, you can have increased production of fluid due to abnormal capillary permeability, so that can be due to damage to the uh, capillaries. You can have decreased lymphatic clearance of fluid from the pleural space, and that can be due to a malignancy. You can have an infection in the pleural space, or you could have a bleeding in, bleeding into the pleural space. So an infection in the pleural space is called an empyema, where a bleeding into the pleural space is called a hemothorax. You'd learn a lot more about hemothorax on surgery, because a lot of the time the treatment for a hemothorax is a surgical thing, but it is important to know. Now, I read that a diagnostic thoracentesis should be performed whenever there is a new pleural effusion. Uh, that's when you stick a needle into the lung area and you draw off that fluid. I don't know if that's true necessarily because there are a lot of patients that come in with very small pleural effusions and we just watch it and treat the underlying cause. Now, obviously, if it gets more intense, then they do the diagnostic thoracentesis, but I don't think they do that for every single pleural effusion, but maybe I could be wrong. So on clinical findings, you're going to have uh, shortness of breath, cough, and you can have chest pain. Um, when you percuss the lung, you're going to have a dullness to percussion. And when you listen to it, you're going to have a diminished or absent breath sounds. And that's due to the fact that you have fluid in that area. And then you might have what's called egophony over the effusion. So egophony, I haven't actually seen a physician do this for a physical exam we learned about it in our um, medical practice class but and we had to do it in our practice uh, patients but what egophony is it's an increased resonance of voice sounds heard when listening to the lungs that can be caused by a consolidation or fibrosis and that's just due to the 
enhanced transmission of higher frequency sounds through the fluid or abnormal lung tissue. So you have the patient say the vowel E like that. And if there is egophony, it will sound like an A. And that's just due to like the pitching up of the sound due to that fluid or fibrosis or whatever the problem is. Um, if you have a really big effusion, then it can cause an increase in the interpleural pressure, and that can give you a shift of your trachea. So if you get an x-ray, you might see the trachea sort of shifted over to the opposite side. Now, as far as what you're going to find on labs, I think this is one of the more important things for when you're taking a test and you're learning. This is what I'm going to kind of talk about a little bit in more detail in my presentation, just because I think I had issues with this when I was taking tests because I was it's something that you need to know, but if you don't learn, learn it, it can make the problems much more difficult. So there's different types of effusion. There's exudative pleural effusions and there's transudative pleural effusion. A transudate is something that's it's more like regular liquid. It's closer to the, the serum, whereas an exudate is going to be more purulent or closer to like pus or something like that. So there's certain lab values that we look at and um, for a pleural exudate, common causes are pneumonia, cancer, tuberculosis. And what you're going to find is you're going to have the ratio of pleural fluid protein to serum protein is going to be greater than 0.5. And you're going to have the ratio of pleural fluid LDH to serum LDH is going to be greater than 0.6. And so when you have these questions, they'll give you the pleural fluid protein and the serum protein, and they'll tell you that the patient has a pleural effusion. If you just do the math, then you'll find out, okay, is this an exudative or is this a transudate? And if you figure that out, then you can kind of knock off certain answer questions, or you can say, okay, I don't think it's a transudate, so, you know, what are the what is the most likely cause? Um, if you have a transudate, you're also going to have a glucose value that's similar to the serum glucose. Um, the pH is going to be between 7.4 and 7.55, and then you're going to have a fewer than 1,000 white blood cells. So it's not generally an infectious process for a transudate. There are a few other labs that can point you in different directions. Um, if the pH of the fluid is less than 7.3, that suggests that you need drainage. If you have increased amylase, it could be pancreatitis or adenocarcinoma of the lung or pancreas or an esophageal rupture. So there's all types of different labs that you can get that will help you narrow down the cause of the pleural effusion. And I'm not going to go into all of them right now. That's probably something I'll do more when I give my presentation. If you suspect that it's tuberculosis, then you should take a sample of the fluid, and then culture it to see if you can grow tuberculosis. For imaging, you're going to get an x-ray. You might get a CT as well. I found this interesting that the lung is less dense than water, so it floats on the pleural effusion. I guess I never really thought about it that way, but it does make sense. Um, and you might also, like I said previously, see that shifting of the trachea if it's a very large pleural effusion. Uh, generally, when you do, or at least when I do x-ray interpretations, I'm not very good at them. It takes years of practice, but the method that I do is the A, B, C, D, E method. Um, a is airway. B is bones or breathing, depending on who you talk to. C is the costophrenic angle, and that's the the bottom edges of the of the X-ray where the chest or the lung sort of ends, and it comes to a point. It's kind of hard to describe, but if you have a 
pleural effusion, then there's going to be what's called blunting of the costophrenic angle, and that point will be filled with some sort of white fluid. Um, so the next thing you do is D is diaphragm, and it, generally like a classic example is with someone who has COPD, the diaphragm um, is more flat, it's not round. And then, uh, or if someone has some sort of nerve problem, if they've had a nerve injury, one of their dia one side of their diaphragm can be higher than the other. And then E is everything else, and everything else is a lot of things. So the last thing I want to talk about is treatment. Treatment obviously depends on what the cause of the pleural effusion is. So if it's a transudative, then you're probably just going to be treating the underlying condition. So if a patient has heart failure, they're going to have backing up of fluid into their lungs because their heart is not pumping properly. So the fluid gets backed up and that can eventually like leak into the lungs and that causes or can cause pleural effusion. So what we do for that is we'll generally give them a diuretic to try to get them to uh, pee off some of that fluid. If it's a malignant process or a malignant effusion, um, it can be symptomatic depending on the severity. I'm pretty sure that if you have a malignant transfusion, it's a pretty bad sign, but I'm not 100% on that. And then if you have a paraneumonic pleural effusion, there's also several different types of these. So an uncomplicated paraneumonic effusion is free-flowing sterile exudate that resolves quickly and you treat it with antibiotics because the patient probably has pneumonia or they do have pneumonia. An empyema is a gross infection of the pleural space indicated by a positive gram, gram stain or culture of that area. So you always drain empyemas um, and you can use what's called a tube thoracostomy. And I think that the surgeons are the ones that do that. You can have a complicated paraneumonic effusion, which has just more evidence of inflammatory stimuli, low glucose, low pH, evidence of loculation, and you also treat that with a tube thoracostomy, and if they have pneumonia, you're going to be obviously treating their pneumonia with antibiotics, or if it's a bacterial pneumonia. And then the last thing is the hemothorax. So the classic example that we get in a question would be someone who's had some sort of blunt trauma to the chest and they're hypotensive, they're not hemodynamically stable. So there's a bunch of different things you can do. I think the classic is just you, but that's sort of the correct answer for a student who's taking a test. There's obviously way more things that you can do. So that's all I'm going to cover today. Um, there's a lot more detail that you can go into when it comes to the different types of pleural effusions. Um, there's multiple different pathologies that can cause pleural effusions, and then there's a bunch of different diagnostic methods that you can go about doing in order to uh, figure out what's going on or why you're having a pleural effusion. I don't have a ton of experience with having patients with complicated um, pleural effusions most of the time, or at least what I've seen the most is just a heart failure exacerbation that leads to sort of a transudative pleural effusion that's giving the patient a little bit of shortness of breath or difficulty breathing. Generally what you'll hear, uh, you might hear some crackles in their lower bases of their lungs. If you get an x-ray, you'll see that blunting of the angles. And then what we generally do is just give them oxygen if their O2 is low, and then we will give them some Lasix which is a diuretic to help them sort of get rid of some of that fluid. Um, and depending on the patient, there's multiple different um, causes for that heart failure. I can do a episode on heart. I think I might have done one before, but I'll have to go through and look at my episodes. But heart failure is really interesting. 
the one thing I always have to remember in medicine is that pathology or disease doesn't happen in a vacuum. So just because you have one disease doesn't mean you can't have another or just because the textbook says it's the most common doesn't mean that's how the patient is going to present. And there's always a billion different ways that a patient can present. And that's part of the reason why I've been in school and why I go to residency is to be able to see all this and so that I can help patients in the future based on what I've been taught. Well, I think this is a pretty good episode. I like the shorter format for the medical podcasts. I don't know what my next plans are for an episode. I need to have Abe and Knox on for our last uh, prequel Star Wars trilogy movie discussion. I need to come up with a better name for that. If you have any questions, comments, critiques, hate mail, you can send it to maximumpodcast at gmail.com. If you listen to me on iTunes, consider leaving me a review. Thanks for listening.